it's been four months since the lockdown began and we're all stuck at home and none of us are able to go outside and see either um, live Shakespeare in the park or go inside to see big summer blockbusters. But I have good news because you can get both the experience of a live Shakespeare performance in the form of a summer blockbuster by going to an old fashioned thing called reading Her Majesty's Will, a Will and Kit adventure written by David Blix is the perfect thing to read during this summer when you can't do anything else. And I now get to talk to the author, David Blix. David, thank you so much for writing this book, first of all. Thank you so much for reading it and enjoying it. It means the world. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 709, Her Majesty's Will. David Blixt is the author of Her Majesty's Will, a very fun and funny adventure novel featuring a young Will Shakespeare and his new friend Christopher Kit Marlowe, who are accused of treason at the very same time they are spying badly for Queen Elizabeth's spymaster, Sir Francis Walsingham. It's a delightful read, and I was thrilled to be able to talk to David about it, and I started by asking him about his novel's influences, which feel to me inspired by his much great swashbuckling movies from the 1940s, but also uh, novels like George MacDonald Fraser's Flashman series and Raphael Sabatini's novels Scaramouche and Captain Blood. I uh, once had the, the great honor of, of being reviewed in a, 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 for a show, doing Taming of the Shrew, where the reviewer said, I walked out on stage as Petruchio like I had stepped out of a Raphael Sabatini novel. That's perhaps the greatest compliment I've ever been given as an actor. That uh, needs to go right at the top of your CV. I want to talk about what inspired you to write the book, but I also want to talk about it's really grounded by not only, you know, sort of Stephen Greenblatt inspired research, but your own leaps of imagination to imagine, well, what might he have been doing? Why did he leave Stratford and why don't we know about his lost years. Well, I'm, I'm as an author, I'm attracted to gaps. I like the space between the stories that we know. I'm not interested about uh, uh, regurgitating things. I have ideas about like a King Arthur book or whatnot. I'll never write it because uh, there, there are too many of them. There, you know, they've, and it's been done well. Bernard Cornwell's uh, uh, three Arthur books remain my favorite um, by far. Uh, and there's a story behind that in theater another time. Uh, but, uh, so I'm, I'm drawn to those, those moments that we don't know about. So Shakespeare's lost years is like, oh, what was he doing in that time after he left Stratford and before he became famous and whatnot? Um, so I was imagining that, but really what happened, I'd read Stephen Greenblatt. I was actually doing a show at, at Chicago Shakespeare and Barbara had just read it as she was directing it and she'd gotten all of us to read it as well. So I just, sorry, the book you're talking about is Will in yeah. the World. Stephen Greenblatt's really uh, popular, and it, yes. I just reread it before I read your uh, after I read your book. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's tremendous. It's so well researched, it's, and it's such a great view into a, a potential uh, 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 what might have been going through Shakespeare's brain as he was doing this, that, and the other. But then a couple years later, I was in Washington D.C. at the National doing King Lear uh, with Stacy Keach, and it, I mean that was a great show. I loved the production, but it was dark. It was really dark. 
um, and I needed something light and fun to do in my off hours. Um, so I started, I, my first book had just come out in paperback after the hardcover, um, The Master of Verona, and I was trying to figure out what I was going to write next. And I decided to write, it was just going to be a silly, fun thing, um, what happened during Shakespeare's lost years. And I'd, I'd done some research and whatnot and what this, this little uh, blip of time and ended up um, thinking of it in terms of, uh, I grew up reading the, the Oz and Ski books by Bob Asprin, the Myth Adventure books. I actually knew Bob when I was growing up in Ann Arbor because um, he was an Ann Arborite. I was one day in the comic book store and I turned around and there he was, the guy who wrote all of the stuff that I, I loved. I met him in the Eye of Agamotto comic book store. Um, and uh, so I knew him and he had based his books on the road movies by Hope and Crosby. And so when you talk about the, the 40s feel, that's very much the, 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 the shenanigans of uh, a wisecracking guy and a kind of a straight man as they go through adventures. Um, and that was very much the, 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 the mold of what I wanted to do. When I write a book, I, I, this book has a ridiculous premise. It really does. It's, you know, what if Will Shakespeare was a spy in the, in the gap between? It's, and not a good one. Um, yeah, falls backwards into working with Kit Marlowe, who we do know did some spying, um, and uh, ends up uh, working for Walsingham. And uh, so it's a ridiculous premise, but I wanted to treat it as straight as I could. Given the ridiculous premise, let's make all the facts that we can um, conform to the premise. Um, I didn't change anything that's in history, so this is maybe this is a what if. Everything that happens, happens um, in a world where it might have happened. Um, one of my favorite reviews of the book said, if this isn't how it happened, maybe it's how it should have happened. Um, I really like that. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's fascinating because he, Shakespeare in the book is both accused of treason sort of while he's working uh, as a spy for Her Majesty's government, you know? Yes, um, and, and yet, it, and yet you've managed to make it feel uh, like it makes complete sense. The other thing I loved about it is that, uh, you know, honestly, I think I might have, you gave it to me a while ago, and I only picked it up in the last couple of months, and because it looked like fun, but the cover art makes it look like, oh, it's a kid's book. It's a YA book. And it's so not. It's not. It's, no, it's childlike, but really sort of growed up. And but The fun. original cover had uh, a, a friend of mine in drag, because that's a big thing at the beginning of the, of the story. Um, and it's, it's very clearly a man in a dress showing off his leg that has a knife under his skirts. Uh -huh. um, and that was the original cover. And uh, it confused too many people. Um, and so I, uh, remembering my, my love of the Oz and Skeet books, I reached out to Jay Fosgett, who's an, uh, an artist I know, does a lot of uh, uh, stuff from Marvel, um, has a really kind of wacky, uh, ridiculous style, and he created the art for the book for me. And yes, it is, it is misleading. It does feel like it's a kid's book, and boy, howdy, is it not. But um, I, I love the art on it, and I, I can't wait for him to do the art for the next book, too. So it'll be I Oh, well, let's, uh, will there be a, a sequel to her? There will be a will? sequel to that, yes. The, the title is Fire at Will. It's Will Shakespeare and Kit Marlowe, once again, thrown together to foil the Spanish Armada. So it wasn't El Nino. Right, no. Oh. <laughs> I, I have, uh, I've only written the first few chapters, uh, but I'm, it's, it's one of the 11 books that I am writing right now. Uh, and we will uh, uh, juggle this, the, 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 the system until we get to the, the uh, uh, the completion of that. It's something I've wanted to write for a number of years. It's 
I have to feel funny and the world is not funny right now. And I do not feel like I, I mean, I should be putting humor out in the world cause we need it. Uh, but I, I personally don't feel as funny as I would like to, as I write the next piece. Um, one of the things I, I'm looking forward to is introducing Cervantes into the, the series. Um, cause he was a commissary for the, uh, for the fleet. And so I'll be sending Will and Kit over to meet him because there's always been the rumor that Marlowe was the one who translated Don Quixote. And oh. that's been one of those, 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 the, the floated things. And you get to the whole, did Marlowe really die? And what I loved was introducing the, um, the people who are going to be in the room when Marlowe is assassinated into Will and Kit as uh, people who worked for Walsingham. Um, it's uh, trying to build those threads into future stories. One of the wonderful things about uh, Her Majesty's Will is that you really populate um, uh, Will's world with, with, it feels like they're all wildly roguish imaginary characters that could never exist in real life, but according to your research, they they absolutely did. Absolutely did. I mean, I love Green, and of course, famously called Shakespeare the Upstart Crow and all of that. I love his relationship with M. Ball, who he left his wife for, and her brother, known as Cutting Ball, who uh, is, is a thief and a scoundrel who ends up hanged um, a few years later. But he's a very real character and a very real rogue and scoundrel and thief and all the various things that he, he is in the book. Um, I, I There are a couple of people I invented. There are, I think... Two villains, I in, no, three villains I invented for the course of the book, but all of the people that Shakespeare spends time with, they're very real. And tell me some of uh, tell me some of your thinking about why you think or speculated in, in this fictional in your fictional world why Shakespeare left Stratford and his relationship with both uh, Anne Hathaway, his wife, and uh, his father. I wanted Shakespeare to. Uh, uh, be a little bit noble in his reasons for leaving, but also a little bit rascally. Um, and so I, I go with the story that, that Stephen Greenblatt puts out there, which is very much the, uh, uh, he, he was poaching deer and got and wrote a scurrilous uh, 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 poem about the guy who uh, prosecuted him for that. But then I add a layer of self-sacrifice on there that is revealed late in the book. Um, as, as, as a motivation for him leaving. What I had a lot of fun with was where, where did he go? And I have him leave and go up and become a, a school teacher under the name of Falstaff. Um, because of course it's Shakespeare, it's a false name. So he's going to be Falstaff. It's, you know, I'm trying to play on words the way he did. Um, somebody compared my version of Marlowe to a combination of Festi and Mercutio. And I very much love the wordplay of, of uh, early Romeo and Juliet, the, the, uh, act one, scene four, where Mercutio is introduced. And, and the, the play between uh, Romeo and Mercutio, just, just leaping off and changing word uh, meanings back and forth to each other. I love that so much that I wanted to make that part of the, the, the humor of the book all the way through. Yeah, I love the vaudevillian banter that feels both, I mean, what you're saying is so perfect because it feels both Elizabethan and uh, Open Crosby 40 movie-ish. Hi, I'm Nicole Galland, author of the novels I, Iago and The Rise and Fall of Dodo, 
and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? Right now, the only place to see the remote Shakespeare Company is online. We've created a brand new page on our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, and a playlist on our YouTube page, where right this second, you can watch us perform many of our epic abridgments from the comfort of your own shelter. Plus, you can see brand new videos we recorded and shot especially for right now, including our online performance as the remote Shakespeare Company for our friends at the Reston Center Stage in Reston, Virginia. Plus, there's the almost two-hour video Q&A that Reed Martin and I conducted on Facebook and our reduced reunion of over 50 RSE actors, stage managers, and wardrobe goddesses from at least four different time zones. Just go to our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our YouTube page, which is YouTube.com slash user slash ReducedShakespeareCo, and click on the co-videos playlist. We'll continue to add to this page, so be sure to bookmark it. And also, you can grab your very own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin, and beautifully illustrated by Jenny Mazels. And now back to my conversation with David Blixt, the author of Her Majesty's Will, and I apologize for the ongoing popping in my audio. I asked David how he manages to juggle the 11 different writing projects he's got going, as well as his, you know, life. Uh, not well. Uh, I'm, it, it's, I've got all, I've had ideas that are, you know, been marinating in my brain for 15 years and I sit down and I write six chapters because I'm inspired and then it sits and waits for me to come back. I hit, I hit that little bit of like, oh, I need that little bit of inspiration. I just, after six years, six years, I've just returned to my original series, the, the Starcrossed series. Um, and cause I found the door in this week, uh, I'm, I'm delighted to have found a way in. And it's based on a, a, a research. For me, the answer is always in research. Inspiration comes from research. It's a little fact that leads me somewhere to a new scene, a new idea. And I'm reading about, um, I don't know if you know the story of Otto Rahn. He was a, uh, a researcher who wrote a great book about the Cathars and the quest for the Holy Grail and Arthurian legend and whatnot. And the Nazis loved him so much, they made him a Nazi and then discovered he was gay and put him in a concentration camp and he escaped and died in the Alps in 1939. Um, but he he wrote the two most amazing books on uh, Arthurian legend um, written in the last century. And they're, they're terrific. And they, they uh, are all about the Cathar religion and whatnot. So it's reading those books give me a, oh yeah, I wanted to do that with this in the era of Edward III. This is perfect because the Cathar uh, thing had just happened. And so, boom, I'm writing again. It's great. That is great. And I love what you say about that you're inspired by the research because it's not even about getting it right, but it's the truth can be stranger than fiction. You've just got to make it make sense in a play in a way, in a way it doesn't have to make sense in real life. It just is. Right. The strangest story I'm working on right now, I'm writing the sequel to my Nellie Bly novel um, and I'm loving it. But there's, I came across a story. She does an interview with a woman. There's a woman named Eva Hamilton, who is the great, uh, who marries the great grandson of Alexander Hamilton. Um, and she ends up um, deceiving him, saying she's pregnant. And then she bring, she buys a baby and she brings it and says, this is our kid. But that baby dies. So she buys another baby and that baby dies. And then she buys another baby, but it doesn't look enough like the other baby. So she buys another baby. And that fourth baby, she says, this is our, our kid. 
and he they're living together for a while and her nurse knows all the, uh, the facts and one day she fires the nurse in a fit of pique and the nurse gets drunk and comes in and reveals everything and she tries to stab the nurse to death and that's when Alexander uh, Hamilton finds uh, his grandson great-grandson finds out all the truth there's a trial attempted murder there, is the kid his is the kid not I mean it's 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 an amazing story that I could never have created that is totally it's real and it was absolutely uh, captivating to the, uh, the the populace at the time but it's crazy it's just history is so much stranger than fiction so david when is her majesty's will going to be the summer blockbuster i want it to be oh god please i anytime the play exists so let's turn it into the the, the movie wait there's a play there's a play lifeline theater 3 years ago i think now uh produ- produced it as a, a, a part of their season um, Rob Kozlerik, uh, he often directs alongside my wife at MSF. They, she directs one Shakespeare, he directs the other. Um, and he, um, they were doing car trips for auditions one year and he had read Master of Verona, but uh, she started telling about her magic. She's always like, I should read that. And he read that and he came to me and said, I would like to do this as a play at Lifeline. I said, please, please do it. The weirdest part of that experience, Christopher Hainsworth directed it and he hired me to do fights for it. So I was in the weird position of, I can't comment on any of the, I'm not going to let myself comment on the art or the adaptation or any of these things unless they ask, but I'm just here trying to give them the fights that they want for this ridiculous, there was a, a fight on top of a carriage as, and we had the whole thing going around, you know, through the stage and, and being rocked back and forth and ridiculous whatnot. Um, we had a fight in a, at a, a bear baiting. Um, and you had a bear on stage, you know, it was, it was, it's all the fun stuff that I put in the book and then trying to jam as much of it on stage as they can. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. David Blixt's novel, Her Majesty's Will, is available in all the usual places. I hope you'll please consider ordering it from an independent bookstore. It's incredibly fun with great fight scenes, surprising reversals, and a thrilling climax that takes place during a performance of Thomas Kidd's The Spanish Tragedy. But now, send us your Shakespearean summer blockbuster via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener, and you can follow David Blixt on Twitter at David underscore Blixt, B-L-I-X-T, David underscore Blixt. Thanks as always to Cross Between Mercutio and Crab the Dog, Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, and music by John Weber and Garage Band. A random fan shout-out this week goes to Terry Hobson. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to another great writer, Nicole Galland, the author of the novels I, Iago, The Rise and Fall of Dodo, and its upcoming Shakespearean set sequel, Master of the Revels. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, stay home, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 709 2027ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Well, and I and I was uh, I'm also I said I was inspired by research and I am, but I'm also inspired by other people's interpretations of history like yours. Um, So, uh, you know, thank you not only for the entertainment, but for the, you know, the inspiration and the motivation to keep working on my own stuff. Well, I'm touched to think that I I had something to do with that. That's wonderful because I've been listening to you and reading your stuff for so many years. 
Um, I remember having an audio cassette of you guys doing the Reduce Shakespeare Christmas um, oh. from ages ago, and that's it's still in a drawer somewhere. And that's where it should be, in a drawer. <laughs> this podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company, reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.